Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the only podcast that chronicles uh, on a week-to-week basis the catalogue of Fearless Records' Punk Goes series. I am occasional co-host Richard S. He, and with me are... <laughs> you have Emma. And Sam. Hello. Mm-hmm. I like Hello. the way you pronounced welcome. It's like you pronounced it with a U instead of an O. Welcome. And I'm not trying to make it like a sex joke, so... <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, this week we are covering Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots, as covered by Memphis Mayfire on Punk Goes 90s 2. That is correct, sir. So how is everyone today? How are we coping with ISO, with life, with... Just another week in isolation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm doing all right. What about I'm you, Richard? Switching up my yeah. exercise routine. I'm trying to cook more. I mean, I have to cook as it is, but you know, putting more effort into it. Yeah. And so I feel like that's paying off. So yeah, Good. more DDP yoga. Um, I switched to um something called Peloton because um, I had a hey. ninety day trial. Um. Which is really good. They have like all these different programs. You can do like whatever. But um, nice. they also had that ad late last year, which I did not see until yeah. recently, which is um, it's an almost like unintentionally Black Mirror style ad where um, a husband yeah. buys an exercise bike for his wife. And she's like, oh my God, a Peloton. Thank you for this you know, gift of an exercise bike in our living room. I'm not offended at all by the suggestion of this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that she's like you know fully in the cult. So, <laughs> and then it's like, doesn't she do like video diaries or something about it? And then yeah. they sort of bond over that. It's very upsetting. Anyway, that'll be me. <laughs> I love it. You need to start a video diary of you with your Peloton bike. You need to start. Oh, my lack of. Cult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Right. One like, way to make money. Like I'm pretty sure Om Shinrikyo started off as like a yoga cult. So wow. Yeah. <laughs> I am Anyway. I am impressed that you've got an exercise routine down cuz I am struggling. You're um, doing better than me. Oh man. Like we'll get there I think the more that I sort of come to grips with like this is going to last for a while so I better do something. But mm. yeah, at the moment I'm just sort of like oscillating between like going too hard and feeling like shit afterwards or doing nothing and feeling like shit afterwards. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the routine is what is going to keep me sane because I'm typically very bad at them, but I'm trying to stick to more routine in general. So, hmm. yeah, we'll see. I believe in you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, just a little disclaimer off the bat. This is probably one of the ones where I'm like, I have the least to say, so... I'm not offended if this turns into the Sam and Richard hour. Um, I'll just sit here. Wrestling, 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 wrestling. Metal, metal, metal. (laughs) Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. I'll just sit here and Google office furniture. I've been thinking about purchasing a filing cabinet. So, Where are you going to put it? I don't know. We can take this offline. (laughs) Hold on. I might be able to find you uh, an interesting one. Ooh. Uh, we need the room first, yeah. don't encourage. And he means the physical space, not the movie. Not the movie. The masterpiece. We- yes. <laughs> All, right, All right. Um, Are you familiar with the website The Wire Cutter? 
I am not. Um, it's like a New York Times website where they reveal like uh, literally hundreds of items in each like uh, um, category. Oh wow! Everything, so like headphones and stuff. But I'm looking for the top filing cabinet. <laughs> this right. is making. Oh, there you go. Um, Laurel. One four three four one eighteen inch deep two drawer file cabinet smoothly gliding drawers set this cabinet apart sixty five US dollars from Amazon so you know not even that expensive okay I oh, will shit. Facebook message it I was looking at buying some wrestling shirts last night that were about seventy dollars US and that shit was expensive so I didn't oh, buy no. those shirts what what were they so Chris Jericho has a new one that looks very vapor wavy, and I wanted to get the new Britt Baker shirt. Cool. After she got her nose all bloodied last week. Yes. It's very. It's a very cool shirt. But is it a dentist themed shirt? What's that? Is it a dentist themed shirt? Oh, it says Doctor Britt Baker on it, but it's it's pretty cool. It's it's her with like all like the it's a, the photo of her with all the blood in her mouth and off, off her nose, and it's. Cool. Like in the frame of her face, there's all blood coming down it. So, and the and the Brit in Brit Baker is written kind of like the kiss lettering. So cool. That's cool. Yeah. Also, thank you, Richard, for putting that link in the group chat. That's very and helpful. setting off all your Facebook <laughs> pings. Yes. At once. Yes. No, that's my fault. <laughs> So before I take a back seat, I will jump in and start with the basic stats about STP, a.k.a. Stone Temple Pilots. Pilots. That's really hard to say really fast. Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. That's like a um, Peter whatever, whatever. Peter Piper picked a pepper. (laughs) Peter Piper picked a... Pack of peppers, wasn't it? Peter Piper picked a pair of pickled peppers. Why, how did he pick them when they were pickled? Anyway. Why does she sell seashells by the seashore? Because it's a lucrative enterprise when you're in a beach town. And that's where you would harvest There's them. The so. Yeah, you would take them to the city. You wouldn't take them to you wouldn't sell them at oh. the beach town because they would already have thousands of shells. I don't know. I'm picturing like a Sunday market on the shore. No. You are incorrect. <sighs> okay. Stone Temple Pilots formed in 1989, the best Taylor Swift album, hey. from, and they hail from San Diego, California. San Diego. <laughs> San Diego. There are two conflicting stories that describe the band's origins. Uh, as you can imagine, one is much more interesting than the other. Uh, so the first one is that frontman Scott Wayland and bassist Robert DeLeo met at a Black Flag concert in Long Beach in 1985. Already cool. Yep. They began describing their girlfriends only to discover they were dating the same girl. They then formed a bond after subsequently breaking up with the girl. 
So that's the cool one. And this is just a pretty standard stock issue one. So second theory is that in Scott Whelan's autobiography, so I guess this is probably the correct one, he describes being with his friends, guitarist Corey Hickok and drummer David Allen. uh, And they pursued Robert DeLeo after seeing him perform live with his previous band, Soy Desant. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly. I really flubbed that. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's the boring answer, which is probably the correct answer. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, wait, hold on. It's from French, so I think it would be soit disant. Soit disant. Which means um, self-styled or so-called. Hey, okay. There you go. Nice. Soit disant. So we've already sort of kicked it off. Which version do we think is true? I want it to be number one, but it's probably number two. I just want to know how number one started if like, cause it's just so different compared to what Scott said in his autobiography. Like who would have started that for like to number make one, that? Number one sounds like the origin story of every glam metal band. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that did happen to Motley Crue. Oh, at some point. okay. I don't know. Just like the, you know, typical like dumb rock debauchery. I yeah. mean, well, not as much in, you know, this Sorry, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, like, I'm having a hard time imagining this scenario where, because I mean, I go to, I basically go to all my shows by myself unless we're going to see like Gambino or like a, a band that we together like. Mm. I see all my bands by myself. I don't see strangers talking to each other and having just discussions. Like, that doesn't mean people can't, but it just seems like a really weird discussion that two dudes would start having that they've just yeah. met each other like mm. hey man so you got a girlfriend yeah i've got a girlfriend describe her to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in that sense i want this to be the correct story because that would just be buck wild like what if hello my girlfriend has blonde hair and she is five foot seven and she lives in this suburb what no shit so is my girlfriend but what if they're different girls that's true and they just have the same name <laughs> and they fit the exact same profile and they fit the exact same profile it was the 80s. Like, it could happen. Or like one of them was just trying to like square up the other. Like, oh, yeah, I am. I have a girlfriend too. I mean, it's about as likely as two dudes at a punk show, you know, casually having a conversation about their girlfriends for the first time after meeting each other. So mm, this is true. <laughs> it's also like a Black Flag concert. That's not the place where you just stand and discuss your girlfriends. I don't know. But it's great. I like the story. Yeah. Yeah. So the band began as Mighty Joe Young. That is a terrible name, so I'm glad they changed it. And also a very average movie about a gorilla. Ah. I think I saw that in cinemas in the 90s, so I remember Me nothing. Me too. Yeah. I had no idea it existed. I can't even remember. Is it like a? Is it an exceptionally large gorilla or is it just a gorilla? I think it's just a gorilla, but I do think it's Charlie's Theron's breakout performance. I could be ah, wrong. Yeah. yeah. Because I think Bill Paxton's in it as well. Yeah, one of the Bills, I guess. Um, off topic, but yeah. the uh, that that latest King Kong movie, the one set in the Vietnamese jungle, is fantastic. Um, Skull Island. Yeah, yeah I want to see that. Real good. I swear they do an homage to Old Boy in it. Wow. In a King Kong movie, Grim. It's fantastic. Also, Mighty yeah. Mighty Joe Young is a nineteen forty nine film as well. So yeah, that explains it. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. 
A what film? Um, the forty-nine. The was, year or it was the... made in nineteen forty-nine. Originally, so then how did you guys see it in cinemas? Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> what? Didn't you? <laughs> in their early days, Stone Temple Pilots incorporated yod oh, Jesus yodeling and funk, which is horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frontman Scott Wheeland was fired from the band in 2013 and was tragically found dead of a drug overdose in December 2015. I remember breaking that news to my sister. Yeah. Mm. I remember the news and I remember like I knew who he was and I knew who Stone Temple Pilots were slash are, but I've just, I've never had any real resonance with the band before. Mm. I I grew up, um, so I shared a room with my brother Mm. and that's where I got a lot of my like punk and thrash influence from and the next door to us was our sister Mm. and she she listened like she had this she had the album purple Mm -hmm. um which is where the song comes from i can only remember a few of her cds like in my mind like seeing the imagery of them it was this it was allison chains's dirt sick nice um she had the Depeche Mode album where I think it's their faces and their faces are like purple. Also sick. Um, mm-hmm. And she had she had a whole bunch of the Beatles albums. Like she had all the box sets. Of nice. Like the Very nice. Album and all that sort of stuff. Um, those were the ones that I remember. And I can't remember if she owned Faith No More's King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, or if my brother owned King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, or if they shared it, but he had the t-shirt. Mm. Of the album cover, okay, which is the album art, which is a, a cool image if you don't know what it is, if you can't picture it in your mind. I am going to Google it's it. It's a, it's a very, it's, it's like a, it's like a cop with a dog. Dog. Yeah, that's um, quite iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool album. Oh yeah, that's neat. Art. I like that. Um, so yeah, I can remember going into her room, and she was, you know, a teenager at the time, um, a, a teenage art student. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did a lot of, you know, crafts and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, just, I can still see the image of this album on the floor in front of her CD player. Mm. Um, yeah. That's neat. Yeah. I, um, I kind of wish I had more history with them, like have never taken the time to check out a full album. I wanted to before this, but didn't get the time. Um, but I remember Vaseline being in rock band the first one and so that was okay. really cool that's like a like a two note riff or something and um like in a state love song like still gets played on triple m like radio these days and yeah like i never switch it off so yeah 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 i'm gonna go back to my sister for one last point she had a walk-in you know the the computer room that it, that at my parents' place that, that separates the front of the house to the other end of the house, and there's the walk-in wardrobe. Mm-hmm. She had converted that, so she opened up the doors and left them open and pushed her bed up against the wall That's there. So, so her, sick. Bed was, her bed was halfway in the walk-in, walk-in wardrobe. Oh, I love wow. that. That's pretty cool. It gave her, gave her room, more room as well. <laughs> Your siblings were, like, alive in the best time to be a teen. Like, I really yeah. am sort of jealous of both of them for it. <laughs> Yeah, we got the mid two thousands, and it was like, eh. like we sort of got it, but they, I feel like they got like the most sort of trouble, not trouble free, but like, I don't know, they could just sort of be teens, like, and like yeah. youth culture yeah. was like really good 
at the time and felt yeah. well you know and it wasn't necessarily sneered at maybe i don't know mm. was, yeah who knows yeah anyway i hope they know how lucky they are how good they had it <laughs> is all i'm saying i think most of us had it better in the 90s yeah i didn't have responsibilities because i was a child Aw. All right. Who wants to talk about the song itself? I will. Okay. So as I mentioned, it was from the 1994 album Purple. That, again, has a really kind of iconic album art. So like this sort of traditional kind of Japanese style with almost like a new sort of style kind of artwork to it. Mm-hmm. Um, was written... The song was written by Robert DeLeo and Scott Wayland. Uh, mm-hmm. Robert DeLeo doing the music and Scott Wayland doing the, the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was produced by Brendan O'Brien, who has worked with such acts as Red Hot Chili Peppers on Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic as an engineer. Uh, he worked with Pearl Jam for 10 as a mixer and Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire. Talented man. He is. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like it. Did uh, Mastodon's Crack the Sky... That's my favourite of his, I think. Oh, oh wow. nice. Yeah. I I hated that when I first heard it because it because oh. I was young and I felt like it was a huge departure from from their earlier stuff, which it was, mm. but it's like let's listening to it now as an adult, it's kind of a masterpiece. Oh it? yeah, it's my favourite this but like by far. Yeah. It's it's just got stuff in it that's like that has gelled with me the older I've gotten. It's like they Absolutely. do like a 25 minute song on it. And it's just like, I was like, why is there only seven songs on this album? Oh, because one of them is like the length of five songs. So they got to do a lot of astral projection, you know, and mm. a lot of uh, <laughs> Rasputin's history to cover. So, <laughs> <laughs> jeez. Uh, so Robert DeLeo stated that it was originally written as a Bossa Nova song, which is like a Brazilian style of music. Yeah. Um, it's that dun 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 Yeah. Yeah, see, as soon as I hear Bossa Nova, I just default to, like, keyboard settings. Yeah. How you can just, like, press a button and just get dun dun. Yeah. I can hear that, though. Like, I can see how it might have started that way. I'm struggling to. Yeah, no, I can't. I think that's just my imagination is really bad. Yeah. Because I'm hearing this sort of like, I'm hearing like country, alt-rock, grunge. I can't hear where Bossa Nova would possibly fit into that. um, The actual guitar chords are quite odd. So um, that Mm. could be a Bossa Nova progression for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, So it was number one on the Billboard mainstream rock charts and it remained there for 15 weeks. Shit. Yeah. Nice going. I think Vaseline was the previous single and had been there for two weeks. So together they were on the number one charts or number one uh, for about 17 weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was also number two in Iceland, number nine on the UK rock and metal chart, number 50 on the Aria chart and 47 in New Zealand. Uh, Then the video was directed by Kevin Kerslake or Kerslake, however you want to say it. Uh, who directed Paul Kelly and the Messengers before too long? It says here Kelsake. K E R L. Oh, Kelsake. It is Kelsake. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. Let's. I'm just going to. Is that a typo? Because anyway, I know Kelsake is a. 
um, a surname. Curse Lake. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So yes, he directed Paul Kelly and the Messengers before too long. Uh-huh. Nirvana's Lithium. Helmet's Unsung, amongst other music videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of, it features a lot of kind of washed out colour tones, like a different sort of like yeah. colour palette. Um, and it also starts off like a silent film with a woman throwing out a man from their home and he starts, like he continues to walk through the film clip, but his nose gets longer throughout the film clip. Mm. Um, and it just made me ask the question, what are our favourite silent films? Because I don't get to put on my film my film uh, student hat as much as I'd like to in this podcast. Yeah, we really don't. Mm. Yeah. What are yours, Sam? Uh, mine's Nosferatu, 100%. I somehow have never seen it. I need to. Wow! Yeah. Neither have I. I've I've got it. We should watch it. It goes for an hour. Nice. It is um. I mean, it is in public pu- public domain as well. So yeah. Hmm. Um, Battle for Potemkin is fantastic. Also got to see that. Um, I mean Metropolis. I was going to say Metropolis. Yeah, incredible. I was yeah. going to say that because that's the only silent film I've looked at critically before. Yep. Um. Yeah, we watched a, we watched a few pretty cool ones. One I, in, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, one I love is Faust. The um, I think it's 1923 or something. Um, by is it F. W. Manel? Same guy as Nosferatu. I think so. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. that once. Um, uh, screened for like a German film festival here, and with a live like dark ambient soundtrack, which is really cool. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. What was the one, and I th- is it directed by Werner Herzog, where it's kind of a remake of Nosferatu? Yeah, Shadow, but it's- Shadow of the Vampire, I think. Shadow of the Vampire, but it's actually, he actually was a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, like, Nos- so, I can't remember who it was that played Nosferatu, but it's like, no, he wasn't an actor, he was a vampire. Was that Werner Herzog as well? Uh... That directed that? Herzog directed the um, Shadow of the Vampire, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I had, a... I had uh, nothing else. <laughs> really? No, I had one more. I can't remember what it was called. And basically it was... So we watched this for film, one of my film classes. And it was basically a guy meets a new woman and the woman's like, for us to be together, you have to kill your wife. And so he plans on, like, he he takes her out on basically her last day, and then he's going to kill her, but then he decides, oh, no, I love you, and I won't kill you. And there's a scene where she, no, there's a scene where they're going through a farm or something, and they get a pig drunk. And our our teacher was like, so how do you think they made it look like the pig was drunk. I said it was like 1920. They yeah, probably they just got just... the pig drunk. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, no, you're probably correct. They mm. probably just got the pig drunk. Aww. Yeah, poor guy. Poor guy. So, yeah, uh, thoughts on the song? For me, it's like as soon as I started listening to it, I was like, oh, I know this. Yeah. Like it's one of those ones that's just always been on my periphery. Like I've heard it so many times but I just never made the connection to 
Stone Temple Pilots. See, yeah, I had basically the same thing, but when I heard, when I saw that it was Stone Temple Pilots, my immediate brain went, wait, that's not Pearl Jam? Right. Yeah. I, I heard it went, I, I used to hear it as Pearl Jam because it sounds, and I listened to Purple leading up to this, the entire album. He kind of only puts this inflection on this heavy for this song. Yeah, right. And it's a real kind of Eddie Vedder sort of inflection. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it is. It could plausibly, plausibly be Pearl Jam for sure. Yeah. Yep. I think for me, that's the key takeout for me is like, it feels like it could be a mixture of bands even. Like I sort of get a bit of Soundgarden. I get a bit of Pearl Jam. I get a bit of like, yeah, it just sort of. I don't think you could not be in this scene and not have gruff in your voice. Yeah, like you could get a bit of bush in there, like just like what was it? What was a grunge band that didn't have a little bit in your voice? I mean, yeah. Weezer, but like, yeah, <laughs> just you know. I'd like to hear Weezer cover this. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, like what haven't they it covered at very... this point? <laughs> so. Yeah, that is true. Like, I'm sure it's on their list. Maybe I'll pester them on Twitter about it. Weezer goes punk. Yeah. Punk goes Weezer. I mean, Pinkerton's pretty punk. Oh, for sure. Anyway. I fucking love that album. Anyway, Richard, yes. what do you think of the song? Um, yeah, I've always liked it. It feels a bit 70s to me. Like, it has that 90s production yeah. and voice, but um, almost a little bit 70s power pop, too, with tinges of country. Um, yeah. Like, the bass line is sick. The playing is really good. Um, I always found Scott Weiland, like, I could never recognize his voice. And to this day, I still kind of can't. Like, he has this really weird yeah. quality where he sounds like five different people, depending on, mm-hmm. like, what verse of what song. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, probably my favorite Stone Temple Pilot song would be Trippin' on a Hole in a Paper Heart. And those two, like, you listen to that and this, and it's it's unrecognizable. Like, you would yeah. not think that that's the same vocalist. Um, so... I always feel like the common denominator is like his physical presence, the way he performs and kind of like slinks around live is really distinct. Yeah. yeah. More than anything. Yeah. Um, I will read two different quotes. So um, one is uh, I saw a YouTube comment on a video of Velvet Revolver playing Slither on Letterman, which said, uh, Wyland started as grunge and then turned into Mick Jagger meets Sid Vicious, which... That's a really good description. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's actually a really fantastic description. Yeah. So thank you, anonymous YouTuber, for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one I just came across and I had to read it because um, it's a spin article from After Scott Weiland Died by Andrew Unterberger, who's my main editor at Billboard. So oh, shout out nice. to Andrew. So yeah, I'm contractually obliged to read this. <laughs> um, so he said, Stone Temple Pilots weren't a great band, but they had some great songs. The best of them by far was Interstate Love Song, the group's biggest airplay hit, and the one jam even haters who derided them as Pearl Jam ripping trend hoppers have to recognize. Their Don't Stop Believing, perhaps. Um, And skipping below a bit, it wasn't as zeitgeist capturing as contemporary hits that year by Oasis or Beck, as impactful as Hole or Nirvana or as generationally intrinsic as Weezer or Green Day. But in Songcraft terms, it's endured as well as any of them, and it never doesn't sound great. Yeah. And one other point he made was that um, in Wyland's biography, he explains that the 
opening lyric, um, waiting on a Sunday afternoon for what I read between the lines. He says that um, those lines were written from the perspective of his girlfriend at the time, knowing that he was lying to her about his heroin usage. So Mm -hmm. it's quite like a, I mean, it it is on like just just over three minutes as a song. It's quite lean and elegant, but like quite evocative, I think. Yeah. I don't think I could do too much more of it. Yeah. I think it sort of really hits that kind of sweet spot of just enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on the album, Sam? Um, so, yeah, I listened to it during the week while I was working. Um, and, yeah, it sort of definitely took me back to, um, took me back to 1994 uh, in my sister's room. Mm-hmm. I, there's not too much that I remember from it though. Mm. Like maybe it's just cause it's not really like I was never really into grunge. Um, you know, in high school, there were a lot of kids who sort of went back to the nineties. A lot of kids really had that, that love for Nirvana, yeah. um, you know, and you know, bands like Pearl Jam at, that was at my school. Mm. Um, but I didn't really go back to it. I wasn't one of those people. Like I listened to Nevermind and was just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's all right. Um, so yeah, it was, I don't want to say it's forgettable. I might need to listen to it again, just listen to it without, you know, having to think about work. Yeah. yeah. But I also think that's but kind it- of the thing with Stone Temple Pilots, right? Because they were always like a second tier band of that scene. Yeah. And they definitely have... Um, something of a distinct blend of influences. There were definitely people who like Stone Temple Pilots is their favorite band of that scene, but yeah. um, not necessarily like the first ones you think of. Like um, Wyland is arguably uh more fam- well, just as or more famous for like his um his personal life and for being involved with Revolver, etc. You know. Not the same. Yeah. Well, let me ask the question. Oh, they oh, don't sorry. have the same like mythology around them as a band. No. Um. Well, my question is: Is he a better performer than a vocalist? Um... Is he better? Is he more known for the way that he moves on stage rather than his lyrics and his voice? Uh, I want to say kind of equally because. Like, I don't know his pure songwriting well enough to say that much about it, but it's like, if you listen to Stone Temple Pilots with Chester Bennington or with their current singer, like, it definitely isn't the same. Um, And, like, watching him live, um, like, if you closed your eyes, I think you would still feel a sense of, like, that kind of rock god presence about him. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Stone Temple Pilots. (laughs) <laughs> no it's um yeah i don't really have much else to say it's yeah, a cool it's a cool either. song but yeah and the album was was cool but it was like it didn't make me go oh wow and they said hit repeat on that album yeah i yeah i sort of see the song as like very emblematic of a specific time in music like a specific movement like a specific just feeling almost um but yeah i guess it is sort of interesting that it's simultaneously so recognizable to me, but also like them as a band. Mm. 
are not. Like, yeah. It's almost yeah. like it was designed to be played on, like, nostalgic rock radio. You know? Yeah. Like, it sounded one way back in 1994, but now, like, it kind of pops out of the speakers a little bit more, if anything. It does. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Well, what do you think of... So, I think we're we're moving past the notes a little bit, but what do you think of, like, the the Chester Bennington era? Because Chester Bennington from Linkin Park took over vocal duties when they fired... Scott Weiland. Yeah. I um I remember when that happened. Um because Scott Weiland's firing was really like inevitable. Um that had a lot of like wild ups and downs. And um yeah, like I'm not sure how the Chester thing like arose. Um I noticed yeah. that yeah, he joined the band in twenty thirteen and everyone was kind of like WTF because I think everyone just knew intrinsically it was like a very strange fit. Um, yeah, Chester does have a grunge alt rock background, right? He, um, I think he was in a couple bands in the nineties because he was always the oldest member of Lincoln Park. Um, he was in a yeah. band called Grey Days, D A Z E, who actually cool. are putting out an album. I think like next week or something. Um, oh wow! Yeah, okay. they had uh, a bunch of like oldish, not nineties, but like more recent recordings that they got like mixed and mastered into an album. So that's interesting. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It seems pretty good from what I've heard, but um, the, yep. the whole thing is like Chester's energy is so like complete opposite to Wyland. Like Chester yeah. is kind of angsty and like, um, like kind of like brave, you know, like very emotive and Wyland's just like that kind of, 60s 70s like sex god swagger so much that you wouldn't yeah. think yeah. it makes sense like um i watched a live performance with chester and he like barely moved on stage which is weird but um like vocally he definitely did a good job from what yeah. i heard and what i sort of took away from like the live performance i saw was basically when he wasn't singing yeah. he steps back and almost just like hey this is the band yeah I'm I'm here for this, and and when he's when he sings back, like he comes yeah. back up to the front. But yeah, like he sort of he isn't taking, he isn't commanding your attention. I don't know. I'm just when I think of Scott Weiland on the stage, I kind of imagine Aaliyah's character from mm. Queen of the Damned because she sort of like had those kind of movements as well. Yeah. Um, terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> also, one I want to see. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Hold on, I had something here. There was just something, like, it was probably a really safe bet to have Chester Bennington because there True. never seemed to be any kind of level of danger with Chester Bennington. Like, he seemed very, exactly. very safe. Um, like, yeah. you probably weren't risking him, you know, I imagine the reason why they fired Scott Weiland because, was because of his drug issues. And Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you probably you weren't getting yeah. that with Chester Bennington. And um, with what you said about his um, stage presence, yeah, the the Leo brothers like kind of were the creative force of that yeah. band. Um, like Wyland, obviously very involved, but yeah, um, I'm going to read a quote from Stephen Thomas Erlewin of All Music. Mm-hmm. So this is him on um, the band did a 2013 EP called High Rise with Chester Bennington, yeah. which again surprises me that that exists. Um, he said. 
Stone Temple Pilots traded in the tattered junkie glamour of Wyland for the studied earnestness of Chester Bennington, who, as the lead singer of Lincoln Park, never demonstrated any facility for the hooky arena psychedelia of Stone Temple Pilots at their time at their prime. Unexpectedly, the 2013 EP High Rise finds this theoretically awkward marriage thriving because the two parties opted to spend their time crafting simple, straightforward, working man rock. Bennington remains a singularly unsexy rock star. He has no swagger, only determination. But the DeLeo brothers are so fond of big, arena-filling hooks that the five songs on this EP are ingratiating despite their dogged lack of frills. Wyland's trashiness is missed. It kept the band unpredictable and alluring. They were junk food that you couldn't resist. But these songs are expertly sculpted, playing upon the kind of riffs and melodies that made the group alt-rock titans in the 90s and still sounding somewhat irresistible even when they're po-faced. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Mm. Yeah. I heard the first song. Yeah, it was pretty good. Like, not, like, electric, but, like, very listenable and, like, not bad at all. So Yeah. I think, because, yeah, I remember, like, when, Sam, when you were doing the research for this and you said, oh, yeah, like, I'd forgotten that Chester had filled in Mm. for them. And I was immediately reminded that that had existed. And I remember at the time when I read about it, I think because I just assumed Stone Stone Temple Pilots to be, like, just a middle-of-the-road sort of rock band, I was like, okay, Hmm. that makes sense. But, yeah, when you do sort of drill down into it and, yeah, think a bit beyond just the surface level, like, yep, they've got this person in now. Like, it, yeah, it does feel a lot more jarring. I think for me as well, I forgot about it because I may have thought that it was Soundgarden that he he mm. came in for right. replacing Chris Cornell after. But I don't think, I don't remember when Chris Cornell died. But, oh, uh, it wasn't long before It wasn't long Chester, before Chester. No. It was, yeah, like so, a month yeah, or something. Yeah, well, it really wasn't that that far apart. Um, but yeah, I just, in my mind, had it that he replaced Chris Cornell. Yeah. I mean, that also gets confusing when you consider um, the band Temple of the Dog because yes, uh, the story with Pearl Jam is like they were a band called Mother Love Bone with a singer called Andrew Wood, I think. And um, uh-huh. when he overdosed in like 1989, I think, um, sound uh, sorry, the members of Pearl Jam and Chris Cornell did a record called yeah Temple of the Dog. Which is really good, like super oh. underrated for grunge, really soulful. But um, nice. the history of that scene is all very like intertwined, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I think because weren't Chester and Chris Cornell like best friends? They were close. Yeah. 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 And again, to me, that sort of feeds the theory in my head where Soundgarden is another one of those bands that I could pile into this. I think Stone Temple Pilot sounds like this kind of camp. Uh, they. Soundgarden had a different sound. They were they were yeah. much grungier than this. Yeah, I, I prefer Soundgarden over Soundgarden yeah. pilots. Oh, definitely. But, yeah, they were quite adventurous. But like, looking at their stories, kind of reminds me, and I'm going to go there. Watching the Dark Side of the Ring series, mm. the Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. Oh yeah, thing. definitely. Not to the not to the same degree. Like Chester did not go Chris Benoit, but um, just the whole like best friends sort of. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, the I'm idea that one couldn't get over the other's death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did also ask what the what our thoughts were on Velvet Revolver. I believe Emma, you have no thoughts on Velvet Revolver. I have no thoughts. 
and I saw them on the Ozfest DVD, which I had. Did you get that Ozfest DVD from me? Did you take that? Richard? Yes, but I didn't notice Velvet Rover on the track list. Interestingly, that was that was the only that's the only uh, history I have with Velvet Revolver because mm. I watched it. I was like, okay, I don't know who Velvet Revolver are, and then it comes and I'm like, oh, okay, that's Slash and Duff McKagan and some dude in an SS hat. Oh, that's the guy from Stone Temple Pilots. Okay, yeah. I, um, SS as in like DSS. The no, it's not guys? like it's it's like a it's like an army oh, kind okay. of like right. know, hat, but it looks like kind of like an SS hat. Yeah, I kind of think that band was like the last moment for hard rock, like eighties hard yeah. rock in the mainstream. It's like the last event, you know, because obviously you know Guns and Roses, like a third of Guns and Roses and Stone Temple Pilots singer combining to form a super group, right? Back when that was still like kind of an exciting thing and they got a lot of press around it um yeah they weren't like at the center culturally but next to like the Foo Fighters or whoever they kind of fit right in yeah I feel like that band like they didn't write that many like incredible songs but they did have a unique chemistry and in some ways Scott got to like maybe open up a bit more yeah in Stone Temple Violets so worth a revisit if you're a fan of either band I guess yeah yeah would you consider Slash with Miles Kennedy and whatever the rest of that band name is called to be a supergroup? Um, kind of, but Miles to me is a complete singer for hire in that band. It's like he can hit the notes, but um, it's same as Chester in that he has like no swagger whatsoever. And Axel yeah. is like the wild man, so or was a wild man. <laughs> I mean, you name me a Christian rock band though that that has swagger, and I'll be impressed. Um, Switchfoot, obviously. Kinda. I've never listened to Striper, but maybe Striper. Okay, maybe. Have you listened to them, Sam? To Striper or Alter yeah. Bridge? Striper. No. <laughs> but I have listened to Edge's theme song, so that's a sick song. You think you know me? Um. I don't know which members from Creed it was that formed Alter Bridge, but there were some members from Creed that formed Alter the, Bridge. The three non-singers. Oh, so it was everyone except for... Uh, Scott Stapp, yeah. Scott Stapp. Um, Damn. That, that was an interesting story. Like, their first album's really good. Um, prob- probably, like, objectively the best post-grunge band. Um, mm-hmm. And they did some cool stuff after that, but... Oh, Alter Bridge. Oh. Um, but... They kind of yeah, it's the first best band. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah. they kind of um uh, trod like a very steady path after that. So nothing after that is like surprising. Um, mm. Creed, I've heard the first three Creed albums, um, and they have their moments. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And they have when the worst album art like known to man. Oh, oh yeah. Isn't it always just Scott Stapp doing the Jesus pose? No, not at all. Isn't no. it just like shades of green and black and no. brown? The Isn't um... one that's like a tree, but it's their face yes. in it or something? Yeah. yeah. Digitally imposed into a tree. It's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know that because my father owned that album. Oh, fuck yes. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with your arms wide open on it? Probably. That's the one before. Human oh. play. Well... <sighs> Still impressive, but not quite. When I Sorry, worked in, when I worked in a bottle shop, because I, I have a Pantera Cowboys from Hell tattoo, yes, on my ankle, and I had a guy come up to me and he's like, "Is that an Alter Bridge tattoo?" 
And I'm like, no, it's Pantera <laughs> Cowboys from Hell. And so basically ever since then, my buddy Ryan has been like, oh, hey, is your Ultra Bridge tattoo faded? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. I will say that all this talk talk of um different singers to get back to a point that we kind of skipped over was um it speaks to my theory that all classic rock bands are merging into one. And like it's a bit almost a bit silly to think of Stone Temple Pilots as a classic rock band, but like, you know, at this point they might as well be, you know? Yeah. Like the nineties I think you were saying on a previous episode that like the nineties feels recent and for yeah. me, it in some ways it does, but in other ways it feels like the seventies did back then, to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It depends on if I'm watching high def or standard def footage. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, true. But, uh, Emma asked me in this document who would be my dream pick to have replaced <laughs> Scott Weiland. So generic question, yeah, generic question for everyone speaking right now um yeah who would you pick to have replaced scott if not chester i'm not a big enough fan to say like yeah this person would have been great and i feel like if you were to get someone like eddie vedder no offense to stone devil pilots that's he's too big like that's it's a step down for him Mm. right even it's even a step down for chester because i feel like lincoln park were far bigger than stone devil pilots ever were but for that it feels like there's a generation gap. Like he yeah. was a fan of the band. I was about to say, wouldn't there be a sense of deference there? Like, yeah, definitely. Like it's, it, it's definitely different. Like they couldn't get someone from that time. I feel like anyone would have been a step down for them. They couldn't, you they know, couldn't get someone bigger. They could get someone like, um, what's his name? The guy from Bush. I don't know. Uh, Gavin ah, um, Rossdale. Gavin, I was going to say John Bush, yeah. but he was an anthrax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Close. Um to me it's yeah. like it was like replacing Michael Hutchins in that you know it wouldn't be that hard to imitate Scott Weiland mm. but like you need to have that kind of spark yeah. of your own and like a distinct presence otherwise it just doesn't work. Like um listen to a bit of the yeah. current singer Jeff Gutt who seems like pretty confident uh but a bit too like karaoke in approach whereas with Chester like at least Chester is right. his own person. And it's not doing like an imitation really, but yeah. kind of all depends on how the band wants to continue. Like they are still putting out records, but not high profile ones. Is it like, you know, do they just want to be a touring band or what? Like Alice in Chains, the same thing where they replaced yeah. an iconic vocalist and yeah. um, actually kept the new guy around for like over 10 years now. So they've been around. Yeah. He's still, Sorry? still a vocalist. Yeah, and he's he's then gone. He's then yeah. gone and formed other bands yeah. out of it as well. Um, so. I think yeah. uh, the New York Times podcast did an episode on this, but about the idea of like tribute bands and cover bands and oh, was it no? It was Switch on Pop actually? Was it? Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, uh, yeah. one of the two. Um, yeah, I can't remember. There's I need to go uh, back and re-listen. I think a Greek philosophy thing called the ship of theseus which says like you know if you take a ship and like over 20 years or whatever you gradually like replace all the parts one by one so yeah it's uh, still the same still ship the same. you know um yeah well i mean human cells yeah generate every seven years so like are we the same person mm. that's a good philosophical question 
Do we know? Are there any bands where there aren't any original members of the band? I can name two. Yeah. yeah. One is Napalm Death. Oh, ah. shit. Okay. Um, they switched. Uh, so I think they had like four members originally, right? So their first album's called Scum. Mm-hmm. Um, on side A, there's one lineup, and on side B, they retained the drummer and had a totally different lineup. So and wait, then... Shane Embry's not an original member? Nope. Yeah, so they, yeah, then that original drummer left. So since I think 1992 or something, um, they've been like a pretty consistent band. But none of them were in the original band. Fuck, they've been around forever. And they also replaced, I think, I think they replaced Mick Harris with Mitch Harris. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, Napalm Death and Sugar Babes. Oh, of course, yeah. replaced one by one. Yeah. That's a fun trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, like, I mean, they've gone through a crap load of uh, lineup changes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Good, like that was just straight off the bat as well. Yeah. Oh, I've memorized it. <laughs> I love it. No, very proud. Actually, I'm going to Google this because this could be fun. Bands with no original members. Well, while you're looking into that, let's play us some Memphis on Fire. Memphis Mayfire. <laughs> what? I mean, I don't know. What What might Memphis fire? I don't know. I thought you were trying to no. do some sort of a gag against Alexis on fire. No. I'm not that smart. I'm not that clever. Aww. What'd you come up with, Richard? Um, most aren't that interesting. Um, yeah. Yes, lost their original bassist and their singer recently. So um, okay. they're one who... Uh, like the singer has a solo project that probably sounds more like the actual band um in flames actually yep now which is kind of sad oh, oh really um yeah because yeah they were one of my favorite bands back in the day um i haven't heard their last album which apparently is better but like they are very different to what they used to be and arguably not in a good way so yeah mm. yeah they were they were a fantastic mm. melodic death metal band yeah, that's another one that's just like, oh wow! I thought that um, 
homeboy with the uh, with the zebra stripes tattoo down his arm might have been an original member, the guitarist. Uh, I they're all like Swedish names, yeah. so it's like Jesper. And the one of the something. guitarists was a drummer as well. So yeah, confusing chronology of metal bands. <laughs> yeah. I just suddenly remembered there was a hot minute when I was like. 11, 12, where I was, like, obsessed with zebra print. Wow. Not really. Yeah, that just sprung to my mind then. So wow. Cool factoid for everyone yeah. listening at home. So Memphis Mayfire, they hail from Denton, Texas. Uh, they formed in 2006 and originally went by the name Oh Captain, My Captain, which fucking rules. Because that's a reference to... Um, oh Dead Captain, Poet- My Captain. Dead Poet Society. <laughs> oh. Yes. Which is... A movie that rules. Have yeah, not seen very it. Very sad. Yeah. What? Richard. Ah, <laughs> uh, doesn't matter. The list is too long. <laughs> Nothing matters. They. I mean, when when Robin Williams sadly passed, we were like, let's watch some Robin Williams movies. Mm. And then we just kind of never finished it, didn't we? No, we finished that. We didn't finish Goodwill Hunting. That's right. Which because we just kept making fun of Matt Damon's acting. Ah, yes. <laughs> Scaff. Yeah. Um, Stop going to the ocean distance. Shacks. <laughs> Go socks. <laughs> I would like to try and watch that again. Mostly because... We would just need to tape our mouths shut. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because Elliot Smith did Aww. a few songs on the soundtrack. I, and I, I sometimes wonder if Boston is the Australia of America. Um, and the reason being... No, I feel like that's Alabama. I thought it'd be Florida. Uh, but the reason being that... um. Uh, American English is a rhotic accent, R-H-O-T-I-C, which means they, like, enunciate the R's at the end of words, words. Oh, um, yeah. Which Australian notably doesn't, and Bostonian also yeah. doesn't, so. I thought you said it's an erotic language. I was like, <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> so, aside from the two facts that I have dished up about them, we don't really have anything else to tell you about the band. Nah, I found a an article about because we are doing that thing now. It's like let's look at these bands and see if there's any uh, icky stuff yeah. about them, like allegations. The only thing I could find was they had beef with uh, Australian band The Amity <laughs> Fucking hell! Which basically broke down to the lead singer of Memphis Mayfire um, called a group of girls. Now it, it stemmed from when they were both um, playing on the Vans Warped Tour, I think the 2013 Vans Warped Tour, and the lead singer called a group of girls um, backstage sluts. Oh, um, dressing slutty. Dressing slutty and saying that they were trying to impress him when they weren't, and the Amity Affliction lead singer did not take kindly to that. Yeah, Good Joel, on him. Joel Birch is his name. Good on you, Joel. Fuck Maddie. Um, there, I said it. I'm like so reading reading from it. It sounds kind of like he might also sort of be like, um, yeah. It's like it's he's not so much. I I didn't get so much like, you know, let the girls dress however they want. It's like no one's trying to impress you, dude. Yeah. Like yeah, I don't know, but that's pretty much what I could find out about them. Like, seems like they're clean, but mm. maybe the lead singer's a bit of a d bag. So yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Fuck you, Maddie Mullins. Yeah. <laughs> the Amity Infliction, are they from Melbourne? Uh, or are they from Sydney? 
Good question. Or are they maybe from another state because we have five other states? I'm thinking maybe Brisbane or something. I don't know. Are you looking them up now? I am looking them no, up now. I won't look them <laughs> up. I'm looking up a different band. <laughs> <laughs> I'll race you. Okay. Uh, Gimpy, oh, yes. Queensland. Oh, good get. Yep. So I was closest, I win. Cool. Yep. You've been the satisfaction of knowing, <laughs> of saying that you knew this, the state that... The latitude slash you... longitude, the coordinates. They definitely had a... I, I, I never listened to the Aberdeen... Well, I listened to like... Probably the same. One song from like their really, really early days. It was called like Fruity Lexia or something. <laughs> and it was I love like, that actually. That's kind yeah, of Yeah, but it was like, it was so intrinsically Australian. And then, I don't know, it felt like after, like they got famous and then they kind of lost their, I don't know, what made them special, I guess. But right. I, I wouldn't know because I didn't listen to them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know like kids were obsessed with them in high school and still are, but I never. I think they were just a little bit past that time for me mm. as well because they were more like 2010s oh, were they? Mm. yeah they were popular. sort of like yeah towards the end i think so i think like they were big before then but i never heard of and i'm sure that they they formed in 2003 2003 but i'm sure that were they like when i was getting into the scene that was 2005 they weren't touring they weren't they probably weren't touring down into victoria by then mm. but so, i feel like they would have even gotten like a triple j airplay and like 06, 07, 08? Yeah. So. I reckon. Yeah, so their first album was released in 2008, Severed Ties. So they must have had EPs ah, yeah. before then. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they did a lot of touring with Prom Queen and Parkway. Hmm. And probably Carpathian. Mm. Yeah. And Behind Crimson Eyes. And... Oh, Behind Crimson hey, Eyes. Hey, I remember them. Yeah. That song you had your chance fucking slaps. Do you remember that song? No. Again, they were another one. It was like I didn't really. No, I didn't really get into them. They had a brief moment. I don't think they really got internationally big, but they. No, they had. They, a, didn't. they had a brief moment where they were pretty big here. Yeah. Yeah. What? Feels like all that. A lot of that stuff has kind of evaporated into thin air, unless the band's still continuing. Um, like Parkway's still around, like North Lane, I think is from around yeah. then, and they're still going. But such a like weird disconnect between like pre oh eight and post oh nine. Yeah, to yeah. Me, in Australian music, I think yeah, like that time sort of feels like a bit of a vacuum to me because that's when I was coming out of my teens in terms of like leaving high school, starting yeah, uni. Same. I was very much aware of the fact of like. I'm supposed to be quote grown up now, like mm. so. It does feel like there's a bit of a vacuum there. I don't know. Yeah, interesting but, times. But nonetheless, what do we think of Memphis May Fire? <laughs> Making sure I hit that May not on. Um, I don't think much of it, and not in a horrible sense. Like I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. I think. It starts off, like, the very beginning starts off good. Yeah. But I'm going to say I think the most interesting thing about this song is the drums. Mm. I mm. listened to this song a lot over the last couple of weeks, and, yeah, it's just, it just, it's kind of boring, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
it feels to me like they are sort of rushing to finish it. Totally. Like, they just... It isn't scrappy so much as just phoned in. Yeah, like... exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, Richard. Uh, I will go on record and say I do not like this cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ooh, hot take. Firstly, it's, it, it's funny to hear, like, a kind of archetypal grunge baritone replaced with a, a really nasal scene tenor. Yeah. Um, that's, I don't know, that, that's just, like, amusing to me. It's kind of neither here or there. Yeah. But, um... I feel like they didn't really attempt to cover the song. No, and then it goes you know? on to feels... sort of interlude towards the end that's like improvised garbage. Yeah. But it's like, it doesn't feel like it has a relationship with the original song. It's just like a perfunctory version when they kind of took the riff but didn't build the cover around it. They kind of took the vocals and kind of took the melody but yeah. um, I don't know. It's just like a copied and pasted like metalcore breakdown. You know, you could do that to any song. It's like a it's like a YouTube cover these days almost. But it's so jarring to me to have a metalcore band with a vocalist like that as well. That's there are a few, but yeah, yeah. But it's never a style that sort of sat with me. I just feel like metalcore needs to have like you can have metal uh, melody to it, but like there needs to be some edge to it, and this just has none. Totally. Yeah, you're right. It's like if the guy from Periphery like couldn't sing. Yeah, again, that's another band I've never listened to. Uh, fine, I've I've more to say, but whatever. Um, <laughs> don't. Oh no, no. I, I was thinking of last week's cover. I was like, doesn't this band have two singers for no reason? I was like, no, that's Love Song. Yes, Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, but Love Song that was a sick cover. That slaps. And, and I and I liked their their dynamic as well. I actually mm. did not like what I heard of that, but I'll have to look it up oh. properly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. You better change your mind or else you're not coming back on. Ah! <laughs> you have to agree with us. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Punk goes hive mind. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll have to go on uh, Pod Goes Punk instead, huh? <laughs> Don't threaten us like that. Pod Goes Punk. And so, yeah, that's where your backwards theme song would come in. <laughs> oh, I never showed it to you, Richard. I should. I should send it to you. I did. I can't remember which song it was we did in the last couple of months. And the joke was going to be, because um, we both hated the song, we were going to be like, this song sucks, bye. And then I was going to play the song backwards. Like our intro. Our intro song. And I played it to Emma and you just freaked out. I was like, nah, we're not doing this. <laughs> Like, it wasn't funny. It was just upsetting. So that's how I know we could never watch Twin Peaks. Well, Why? that's not actually reverse. That's like, um, they recorded it in reverse and then flipped it the right way around. Did Twin Peaks in reverse? No, thank just, you. I was so, going to sound really smart and you stepped on my toes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, certain bits of dialogue, yeah. In the dream sequences. Oh, is that like the, Lisa? Like, the suit? Trap Huke. Yeah. No, not Trap Huke. Yes. No. <laughs> So, yeah, basically, like, they had this really weird way of talking, and what he did was he had them speak in reverse, and then he... yeah. See, like, I could do that because it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be unsettling. So, like, whereas for some reason, the joke was lost on me. (laughs) One of the most unsettling things I've ever heard... Um, it was when I took the isolated vocals to All Star and played them in reverse. Oh, oh if you remember that, that was on my SoundCloud. Um, Actually, yes, I do remember that. 
<laughs> Did I keep it? I'm I'm gonna see if I kept that. I can send you all of them. Well, no, I don't want All Star. I'm just seeing the, the if I kept the Punk Goes Pod theme. Oh. Um, in reverse. I don't think I did because you had such an adverse reaction to it. Well, Emma. now I feel kind of mean that I made you delete. No, you didn't make me delete it. I just think at that point I was like, well, we're not going to use it, so what's the point <laughs> of keeping it? You know what? I probably have to have it on my hard drive. So I completely off topic because I think we can all agree this song is just meh. Yep. Um, speaking of things that are unsettling, do you guys have a song, which Sam and I have talked about this before, like is there a song that you have listened to that gives you a sense of unease, like you cannot listen to it because it freaks you out? I don't, it doesn't anymore, but I remember as a kid again sharing a room with my brother and when he was going through, because my brother and my sister went through a Marilyn Manson phase at around about the same time, and listening to the beautiful people. So he had the beautiful people playing on stereo. Right. And I think he'd gone to the bathroom or something and left it playing. Mm. And I had... How old were you at this point? uh, So probably like seven or eight. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I've walked into the bedroom maybe to get something. And it's the... (laughs) It's the sort of like the bridge part, the do 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 do. Yeah. Mm. And I remember hearing that going, oh, fuck, I'm getting out. Aww. It doesn't anymore. It doesn't freak me out anymore. But it was like, oh, that kind of spooked me a little bit. Yeah. But I'll have a bit of a think while Richard talks. If you yeah. wanted to unspook you, listen to, um, I think it's called the, I think it's also called The Beautiful People, but it's the last song on the soundtrack to Burlesque, the film starring Christina Aguilera and Cher, yeah. um, where. <laughs> Christina sings like an original song, but it's over a sample of the beautiful people. Oh, it's okay. really funny. But like, I mean, like everything in that film, it's very campy. I actually no, I'll, I'll, I will um cut in because we had this Please. discussion the other week, Richard. There's the band Pissgrave. Oh, yeah, and I listened to that. Um, don't Google image search them. No, do not. I really don't. Pissgrave. Why? Their last album cover is just... You won't describe it. It's, like, actively offensive. Yeah. Um, And just listening to that, what was my description of it? It was like, it was... Oh, yeah, because you showed me this Japanese deathmatch that was just like, I don't need to see that. Like, Mm. I don't at all need to listen to this band. It's like, I listen to depressing, dark, heavy stuff, but I just, I don't need that in my life. It's Mm. the difference between, like, depressing music that's cathartic and like stuff that's just pure nihilism embodied where it's like what's the point of this you know it's like active it's it's aggressively trying to force you to not listen to it yeah and at that point why are you making music yeah and there is crafts to it but it's just kind of like too edgelotty you know it's like i always say horror films are about um the point of a horror film is to make you feel alive um but if it's just like unsubtle you know beating you over the head with it, then, you know, what's the point? That's true. Mm. Songs Do you that have anything out? that makes you feel uncomfortable, Richard? Um, the main one I think of is, so Eminem has a song called 97 Bonnie and Clyde from his yep. first album, uh, the Slim Shady LP, I think, which mm-hmm. um, that's not the song that scares me. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, 90s beat, um, he is fantasizing about um, murdering his wife and like oh. taking his daughter like on a drive to like dump the body or something, which is gross. Um, yeah. Um, but that 
you know, it, it's in its context, I guess. I'm not going to defend it. Um, but Tori Amos has a cover album called Strange Little Girls where she covers that. But imagine, like, um, imagine Psycho-style strings. And mm. she's doing it from the perspective of the daughter and also reading all the lyrics in a completely unaffected voice like this. So that's terrifying. Oh, my God. Um, arguably feminist, but also too horrific to listen to. That, <laughs> yeah, that is deeply upsetting. I think, um, so like, it's it's a film clip and not a song. Um, but I remember the first time I, because I've read about them in, I think, Revolver magazine, but the first time I watched a Duran Grey film clip, ah, um, <clears throat> it was for the song Saku. Um, I think it's Saku. Um, and yeah, that just frightened me. And I was about 18 when I saw that. Mm. And it just scared the living fuck out of me. Yeah, I bet. And then I, I, I had that thing of like, uh, like I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> I'm t- I, 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 I hate myself for this, but I kind of want to do it again. And it's just, it's just so grimy and it kind of hits on those like J horror imagery. Ah, uh, yeah. And they, they do it even better in their other, um, for their other song, Obscure. Mm. It's just, that's even more terrifying. It's like, that's just, that's what they do is they just do really kind of over the top scary stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have much else to say. What would... What's one that has made you feel uncomfortable, my love? <laughs> Richard, do you want to... <laughs> um, I think for me, like, we've discussed this before. There's just, like, weird little bits that freak me out. So, and it's just within context. Like, I think once I was listening to Diorama by Silverchair oh. at night before oh. I was going to sleep. And I love that album. But just the strings at the end of Across the Night, like, fucking freaked me out. for some... Like, it just gave me such a sense of dread. Like I, I get that actually, yeah. Yeah. If it like, was taken out of context, and yeah, I think it was just because like yeah, half asleep, and then you just hear those strings. Like my gut is actually sinking as I talk about it. I now. need to. I'm gonna listen to it tonight when we get off, and and I'm I wish gonna, you wouldn't. I'm gonna listen to it with headphones on. Yeah, but then if you're gonna freak yourself out, I'm then... not gonna freak myself. <sighs> anyway, um, so there's that, and then like I think it's the end of. A Day in the Life of by the Beatles. Oh, there's like the weird sort of backwardy kind of shit at the end. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that freaks me out. And then there's one, and I can't find, like I've been furiously Googling it here, but like I tried to describe it to Sam once. as like, it sounds like what I would hear when I die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot describe it, but it sounds like what I'm going to hear playing when I die. And I remember hearing it on the radio years ago and just being fucking freaked out. And wow. then we went to see Us. That's right. Ooh. I was remembering what, what it was that played at the end. And at the, the end, movie. and it's when they're like doing the hands across America yeah. and all linking. I'll have to find it and figure out the name of it, but it just, oh, like it's just so gross. And I just sort of like leaned over to say, I was like, that's the song. I was trying, I was going to ask what, what had the uh, more horrific ending that or Get Out, but Get Out had a kind of happy ending. Yeah. He, get, he gets out and his friend saves him. I would like to rewatch us. us just that ending was just like, Oh god, that's just fun. Get, get out's yeah. alternate original ending is quite freaky. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's real dark. Yeah, where yeah. um uh Jordan Peele said he went for the George Romero ending instead of yeah. the one he actually got. Yeah. 
anyway. was that to sort of placate the viewer or like no he he decided that like um i'll try not to spoil the film but um he decided that like real life was bad enough um that yeah he didn't need to have the film end on a downer yeah, yeah. that's like, more point. productive to have a happy ending which i agree with yeah yeah so yeah i can't remember the name of it but it's just bleh. yeah, yeah. I, would hear it. I don't it just makes me very upset i feel like all style will be playing when i die so <laughs> oh no <laughs> so i don't know which version just like the whistling like as you fade away <laughs> fuck i hate that yes stop coming <laughs> <Pardon? Yeah>, stop. <laughs> yeah. oh no, oh, no. Are you making a statement now? Do you want All Star at your funeral? Um, I mean, it would hard not to. It would be hard not to have that playing at my funeral. Yeah, unless it was like I really similar to because it's like if you know I live a long and fulfilling life, it'd be funny. If I had a tragic passing, it would still be funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think similar to when I requested to you that you fire my ashes out of a cannon while ready for it by Tay Tay goes over the speakers. If you agree to do that, I'll agree to do the same for you. Hunter S. Thompson style, we'll just Most fire definitely. your ashes out of a cannon at some. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> I'll oh. kick open a, uh, an outhouse door. Yes. <laughs> party! <laughs> so, should we talk about other covers? Let's talk about more songs that freak us out. How about Puddle of Mud? Well, no, we have more oh. covers. Sam? We do have more oh, covers. Shit, we do. I wrote down two and actually found a yeah. third that I'm not going to listen to while doing the podcast. But all right, so I'll just do it quickly. So one is a 17 minute live piano improv by Brad Meldow, who's like a really big okay. figure in jazz. Um, he, yeah, he played it like a live reinterpretation. From what I heard, it's like, it's melodically pretty adventurous, but also like a little bit too smooth jazz for my liking. But yeah. respect. Um, a lot yep. of random jazz covers of uh, like rock songs and alt rock songs, especially. Like some of them really cool. Why do you um, think that is? Do you think like what about just this rock genre lends itself to jazz covers? I think it's two things. It's one that we have jazz musicians who have like grown up with that stuff now. Um, yeah true well three things actually two is that sometimes they have you know broader appeal and can go viral or whatever three is that Mm -hmm. some of them have like really interesting melodic tonalities like instead love song definitely has that and so i can totally see the appeal of wanting to improvise in that specific tonality yeah Um, alex skolnick of testament has a jazz trio where he does that stuff as well so i'll see um but second cover is well it's kind of a cover um so i just saw this on jimmy kimmel live in 2015 um he does this thing called mashup mondays where occasionally he'll get like pair two random acts together based on the names so he created joss stone temple pilots Love song, which I thought was sick. <laughs> yeah, 
I something about it when it's a, is it a key higher? It's like pitch. I think it's like a fourth higher or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something about that doesn't sit right with me, but it's so brilliantly executed. I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, and yeah, she was always cool. What was that one song that she had? Like, stupid something, stupid love. I don't know. Super something. Was Justine the one married to Lance Armstrong? No, that's Cheryl Crow. That's Cheryl Crow. (laughs) Um, they're both white blonde ladies. Yeah. Um, she's cool. Yeah. It was like super something, super blah blah blah. Your love is super. Anyway. Um, oh, I came across a fourth cover now. Can't believe I didn't do my research properly. Um, I'm just <laughs> going to describe the third one. Um, right. It's by a Christian parody band called Apologetics with an X on the end. That's a capital. Sick. That album okay. called Ticked, which has also a Rolling Stone parody logo called Rolling, Rolling Clone. So it's like oh converting God. modern rock masterpieces. I think it's like Christian parody songs. So they did, they did like Come Out and Pray by The Offspring. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> They're going to hell just for doing that. Like, uh, But hold on. Where's the... The Westbrook Baptist Church do the same sort of thing. Oh, they do too. Yeah. Um, they did In Your Face love song. Oh, my God. By which I will listen to after this and not report back on. Okay. Um, Maybe we'll chuck in a snippet just for... I feel like we've established that we don't do parody. Mm, not, yeah. not unless That's it's really good, is. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Al could get it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other cover I, I just like saw was Reliant K did a cover of it, so... Reliant K? Yeah. Oh, sick. Shout out okay. to the podcaster's name, I can't remember. Because I've never listened to uh, that. Sadie Hawkins pod. Yes. No. Who are not yes. a Sadie B. Hawkins podcast. Yes. I, yeah, we are plotting and planning to do some sort of crossover with them because they cool. Reliant K do crop up. So if not you're today. listening to anyone from Sadie Hawkins pod, please get in touch unless we do first. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. It's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Street or road? Street. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I think maybe when we have you on the pod, Richard, we'll get you to look at covers because you have a better eye for finding interesting covers. I I just went on. I just did Interstate Love Song cover and just went through <laughs> and it's just like, nah, none of this is interesting. Yeah, this, gave up. there are two websites that um lists a whole bunch of them, but yeah, I'll... That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, this isn't Interstate Love Song. No. But it's, look, we've already discussed them tonight. Um, Fitting, like, in the same bracket of, you know, these these were two, this was a band in the same era. Mm, No, they were after. Nirvana was in the same era. Uh, Stone Temple Oh, my bad, right. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, recently... I think it was a couple months old, but it's sort of come into the spotlight now. Um, what would you call them? What was what was Puddle of Mud? Were they a, were they a new metal band? Were they a post grunge? Definitely post grunge mm. band. Uh, so Puddle of Mud covered about a girl by Nirvana, and woo! 
Fascinated by how fascinated you are by this? I'm so fascinated by this. I am too, yeah. And I'm even more fascinated because Sirius XM, the place that they performed this at, are they a radio station? They're a radio station, aren't they? Pretty sure. Yeah, uh, they, they, So, like, not one station, right. yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But they released this on their YouTube channel and it's been taken down from their YouTube channel. Um, I'm just, yeah, as I said, I am very fascinated by this. My first question, well, my only question is, why is he singing so hard? <laughs> why is he singing so hard? Well, uh... Is that a rhetorical question, or are you... I guess. <laughs> let me, Richard, do you have a response? Let me contextualize two things at once, if I am capable of, right? So... Um, of course you are, we believe in you. So, Puddle of Mud, I think when they came out, um, a lot of people made comparisons between the singer Wes Scantlin, I think, and um, Kurt Cobain. Like, he had a little bit of a, yeah. a physical resemblance. Um, vocally, like, he could yeah. sing like Kurt, but I guess a lot of people could do an imitation of him. Yeah. I recently, mm-hmm. I mean, I only today heard their song Blurry for the first time knowing it was them. And I was like, oh, this is actually a sick song. Um Okay. I'm going to have to listen to that because I can't pick it. Yeah. Um, I only know she hates me. You probably know it. Yeah, she hates me is like on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> it See, is very funny. Okay. But yeah. Um, yeah. So in I so in 2005, they covered about a girl like at an actual concert and he sounded yeah. really good. Like Yeah, he sounds much better. Really? Sound... Sorry. Oh, no, you go. I was just going to say, he doesn't sound amazing, but he sounds so much better than this. I thought he sounded, like, remarkably similar to Kurt, but without doing a 100% impression. So, um, that impressed me. Um, But the thing is, he's, like, had his ups and downs with addiction as well. Um, Reportedly, he got sober in 2017. Um, But I feel like the bad, the really bad recent performance... Um, I was talking to a friend who has studied singing and it feels like a couple of things, right? Um, one, because he was known for singing very, very harsh. And um, that is a singing style that almost always kind of leads to like real deterioration in your voice yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, like there are ways to do it like more healthily than others, but yeah, happens to a lot of people. Um and the other thing is, like, it, it may have been, like, an extreme off day for him or something. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. your, your mind state can really affect how you sing, stuff like that. But the reason he actually is screaming it, I would say, is because um, it's like when you learn to sing a song, um, there's a certain kind of not just vocal register, but, like, a position that you use. Because um, you're supposed to sing, like, from your diaphragm, which is, like, the... Yeah muscle the stomach muscle below your lungs um yeah uh but there's like a certain posture that you might have to 
adopt in order to hit notes. And that can like be right. different, um, like standing or sitting or whatever, but it's like a muscle memory. So in theory, like if you went deaf or whatever, you could maybe still kind of hit it. Oh, if you're an experienced okay. singer. Um, but it sounds like he's trying to push through to his like comfortable position for that song um, without knowing that his voice is wrecked, whether it's oh, on shit. that day or whether he hasn't covered the song in years or something. So mm. yeah, I would say that's the reason like wow. um, also because Puddle of Mud have lost a lot of members. So they're practically like a session band, I think now. So yeah, okay. yeah. Maybe it's just like you one day rock up. He's like, oh, you know, I haven't played this song in 12 years, but, you know, it should be fine. And then the oh, no. are reacting in real time. So <laughs> that's my spiel. Definitely adding about a girl to our karaoke list <laughs> for when we're through this patch. Oh, but like, I listened to the original. I watched the Nirvana Unplugged. And Kurt Cobain does not, like, he does not scream no. those inflections. Like, like but again, because he, he would have been singing it on the circuit to a circuit i guess yeah i guess but it's like you could see it in his in the puddle of mud singer's yeah. face though before the singing starts you could see it in his face he's like oh let's fucking do this <laughs> that's what the face he's trying to push. Like. yeah yeah he's trying to push through to hit the higher notes but instead he just is screaming it yeah, yeah. it's like you're trying one technique to get to another but it's not connecting at all it just makes me think of that like YouTube video of that girl who's trying to sing and she just like gets so mad at herself for it. I think it was like, <laughs> oh, what was it? Oh, it doesn't matter. It was just very funny. I could relate. I would like to see so, this. Good on you. <laughs> good on you, puddle of mine. I hope, I, in all seriousness, like it is very, very funny, this cover, but I hope he gets like better. You know? I would love to see a redemption one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Just come back in just come back in like six months and do like a, a one that, that just bangs it out. I feel like he would have to practice for six months for it to yeah. be good, but let's get him on the pod. That's not. <laughs> that's just not But yeah, I can't believe in the year twenty twenty I'm not only thinking about but rooting for Puddle of Mud, so I know. <laughs> I feel like Puddle of Mud is the superhero we need right now. <laughs> like I think as soon as he can get out the other end of whatever internal demons he's fighting with that wrecked his voice. And as soon as he delivers that like pristine version, the world is going to change for the better. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. The I'm... world is on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, hell yeah. Yeah. Nah. Hell yeah. For the original. Yeah. Nah. For the cover. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Samesies. But... We shall all shake on that. Yeah. I'm kind of doing the DX crotch chop. <laughs> yep. I want to do um, I want to do a supercut of like, in like, uh, someone saying "Are you ready?" in like every song, but the the drop never hits. <laughs> the only one I'm thinking of is that corn song. Yeah, yeah, blind. Does the, are you ready? Ready? Du, 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 du. Yeah. And then it just ends. But DX as well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's like a lot of people ready? were saying, are you ready? Songs in the 90s. So. Speaking of shitpost music, 
essentially. <laughs> Did your Avril Lavigne video get taken down? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay, that's. I good. think they um, uh, I think they like noticed the the usage, but YouTube doesn't <laughs> take everything down. Good. Okay. Would you like to describe it, Emma? Yes. So everyone out there who is after a bit of levity for their afternoon. Uh, if you jump onto YouTube and Google Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy, but she can't make it any more obvious. And it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> I think that is definitely like, uh, what is it? Like an underappreciated genre of humor. Is like <laughs> when the setup is there and you know what you're going to get and then it just delivers and it's like, yep, perfect. <laughs> I, have a, I have a real thing about songs that like, like unintentionally end after the first line for some reason yeah. it's just really funny to me yeah like when i think of his um lord's royals a lot i just think it should be like i've never seen a diamond in the flesh <laughs> no she's just making an observation that would be wonderful <laughs> um or like my other uh blog idea that i never executed which was answering every rhetorical question in a song that would be so good. It was like a full like essay on dialectics or some shit. Maybe we can like do an exclusive episode of the pod and just <laughs> like rapid fire, like rhetorical question, do a round of like answers, next question, answers, next question. That should be like a Jackbox game. Ooh, that would be good. We've got an idea for what we're going to do for our 51st episode, Ooh. but might come to you with an idea for our 52nd episode that you can just do on your own. Oh, yeah. Is it just me with, like, a Tommy Wiseau and all-star soundboard, like, triggering samples? Can be. (laughs) It'll be up to you. It'll be your podcast. Cool. I'm going to look up what number 52 is. Uh, Yeah, I'm intrigued. We'll we'll discuss it off mic. Okay. Okay. Well, to get to that point, let's wrap this up. He was a boy. She was a girl.